0: Hello, and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 64. I'm Kay, here with my co-host, Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the 20th episode of season three, Into the Lion's Den, Lambs to the Slaughter. Let's get started. Welcome back. Into the Lion's Den Part 1 begins with the entire Moya crew aboard Scorpius' command carrier. As John tries to figure out how to sabotage Scorpius' wormhole project, the rest of the ex-prisoners get the agreed-upon rewards. However, things get complicated as a new peacekeeper officer shows up and throws a wrench in the truce. Season
1: three's Endgame is here. This is the first of a two-parter, and then we have the season finale afterwards. So we are hitting the ground running with the big, big episodes of Season 3 that are wrapping up lots of storylines. So this episode is all about cons and espionage, and I think it kind of, kind of comes across more as a political thriller, as our crew goes on this longest of long shots to stop the wormhole tech from falling into the Peacekeeper hands, and specifically Scorpius's hands. And the situation, as usual, goes pear-shaped and gets complicated with the introduction of like actual politics that are going on in the galaxy around them. And it's kind of cool because it it pulls back, and it's one of those episodes that really puts the Scorpius and the Peacekeepers and John Crichton and his little crew into this galactic society, and how are they affecting it, and how does it affect them? So Mm -hmm. that's kind of cool about this.
0: Yeah, that is one positive about this episode, is up until now the whole series has felt very focused and it's all about the Moya crew and it's all about John Crichton and his enemies and his villains. And this kind of takes a step back and we get them a much larger view, not just of peacekeeper Scarran politics, but also of the larger Luxon politics, the larger Hynerian politics, all of also just all of the other worlds that apparently the Moya crew has visited because <laughs> Grace kind of brings that up. I think my overall feeling to get a little bit into it is that, I go back and forth on Greza as a character because I love the introduction of somebody who's higher up than Scorpius because it takes Scorpius from being like this godlike villain to essentially putting him where Krace was at the end of season one as like somebody who has a higher up. But at the same time, the character herself, I don't really know how I feel about. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of go back and forth on.
1: Yeah. I could see that. So Graza is our new Peacekeeper officer who shows up in the middle throwing a wrench into the works of Scorpius's plan to get John Crichton to help him out. And we'll get into a lot more detail on her character, I think, as we introduce her. But I I know what you mean. And she becomes a key player going forward in this episode and into season four. So keep her in mind as we go along. That's not really a spoiler
0: yeah, I mean, I assume if you're listening to our podcast, I assume you've seen the series. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, if you read an episode summary of the season four episode, you're going to find Graze's name in there somewhere. So this is the culmination of season three's storylines and the wormhole thread of the season three Stormy lines coming together. We saw that with the with the crew on Talon when we had uh, Infinite Possibilities, Daedalus Demands and Icarus Abides, when John Crichton on Talon. Came up against the Scarans who wanted uh, wormhole technology and they were using furlough to get it because she had used data she'd collected while John was doing the module or traded for when all the way back into season one when John was testing stuff in the module down there on uh, Till the Blood Runs Clear. And John Crichton said then he doesn't want the Scarans to have it. He convinces John on Moya that that's a good goal. And you have Moya John's, you know, his journey with wormholes. Through, you know, hanging out in space, looking for wormholes. We had, obviously, the Pathfinder episodes early on in Season 3, Wait for the Wheel, and Shoulda, Coulda, Woulda, and what's the actual name of those episodes? Um, Uh, Self-Inflicted
0: Wounds. Self-Inflicted Wounds.
1: Right. So you have that whole arc coming also to fruition here. So it's all coming together. And then those background episodes we kind of had in the middle incubator where we learned Scorpius's background and we got to meet Linfer, who was the pilot. Um, she gets mentioned in this episode. She was the peacekeeper scientist who came up with uh, equations to stabilize wormholes or and shield the pilots from becoming goo. So all these little plot threads that have been going through the episode come together here, including also the Talon plotline.
0: Yeah. So the episode begins with everybody either currently on the command carrier or on their way to the command carrier. They've changed Jules' hair color. It's bright red because she's really stressed out. (laughs) And it's... One of my issues with this episode is that there's like 800 things that happen in this episode, and it all seems to happen really close together. There's very little breathing room. In a lot of ways, it reminded me of Look at the Princess Part 2, where mm-hmm. it's just like thing after thing after thing after thing. And it's like, although even in Look at the Princess Part 2, there was breathing room. Like, just, there were like quiet moments. And here, there's literally not a single quiet moment, you know?
1: Yeah, it's, it's very... It's got a lot going on in it. That said, I don't think, the while the pacing is fast-paced, I don't think it's off balance. Like, I feel like they do a pretty good mix of we have the tension of the crew arriving, uh, they're greeted by a red carpet, mm-hmm. Scorpius has all his important officers lining the pathway as, like, you know, going to the Oscars, basically, and you have the part of, uh, Rigel and Dargo are the advanced scouts, so they're the ones already aboard uh, the command carrier, and everyone else comes down, and this like you know, this
0: procession through the enemy territory. It's very stressful on a couple of levels, that scene. You can tell the characters are very stressed out by it because, you know, this idea of lambs to the slaughter, they really look like it. Like they are completely surrounded by these peacekeepers and none of them are supposed to have weapons and none of them did bring weapons. Like at least on the surface, they are all abiding by the terms of this truce including Scorpius and e- John even has Aaron test the the Iench bracelets and it works and Scorpius is in pain. and so you get this feeling that both sides are kind of agreeing. and there's actually this interesting moment later on because, I want to play Scorpius and Bracca and John's reinteractions as they first get on the ship because both sides are kind of testing the waters because we have Rigel, who's a consummate politician, negotiate this truce because this is the first time that John and Scorpius are really interacting as anything other than enemies. So tell me, John, what finally brought you here? Dominar Rigel claimed you preferred the peacekeepers to the Scarrons. Any other reasons? Moya, Pilot, Aaron, Targo. They've been through hell, in large part due to me. It's time I did something for them. Do not screw with them, Scorpius. Give them what they want. It's a good deal for you. Oh. Uncontested. There is one thing more we want Talon is presently inoperative, he needs to be brought aboard for a full cognitive system replacement. That was not part of the agreement. So? You called off the retrieval squad fixing up town as chump change. Bringing a gunship aboard is too much to ask. Its weapons have been deactivated. Tex will remove them. He will be reprogrammed and set free. No guns, no peacekeeper memories, no emotional problems. What incentive is there for us to work on? Crace... Brack, you want to go another round with me? We can take this outside. Talon's behalf. Crace can go to hell. This is for me, not him. Granted. Then show me to my quarters and give me the project schematics so I can isolate Talon's design flaws. I'll need a Leviathan specialist. I request Lieutenant Laurel For, uh. Any particular reason? Only that she's the best qualified. I think these two episodes are really good Crace episodes. And I think that one of the things you don't realize is until you finished Into the Lion's Den Part 2, you don't really realize how good Crace episodes they are. And so I want to kind of, even though we'll get into so much more of it in Part 2 and like I have feelings about it, These episodes are set up as John Scorpius episodes, and it isn't until part two that you really find out that the heart of them is Krace. And so this moment where Krace is requesting something, we don't really know what else he asked for because everybody asked for, you know, this was their kid in the candy store moment. They pretty much asked Scorpius for everything they could possibly want, and he is delivering on all of it. He's giving them everything they asked for. We don't know what Krace asked for before the meeting, and... Here in this moment, when he's requesting Talon, you can see that that's really all he wants. He wants to fix his ship. He wants to set it free, even though that implies that he's not going to be on it, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I got to say, also, shout out to Lani Tupu in this episode, like this entire episode, also in the next one. He just does a fantastic job with the acting and conveying Crace and where he is and what his head state is. And there's this really great little moment in that scene we just just listened to where he's like, cuts his eyes over to John. Like, he's not mad, he just kind of gives him the side eye when John's like, you know, screw Crace, this is, I'm asking for me. Mm-hmm. Which is as much... You know, could be true on two levels for John. You know, like he doesn't like Krace, first of all, so fine, whatever, he'll take credit for it. But also he has more of the leverage than Kratos does with Scorpius. So he's taking taking the responsibility and the because he has the capability to ask that of Scorpius and Scorpius will give it to him. Mm -hmm. But what I love right here is is you know, it's just like the no holds barred between John and Scorpius. John is like I'm going to keep asking things until you tell me no. Like, you know, yeah. you want this thing from me so badly that we're going to do it this way. And and Bracca tries pushing back and Scorpius is like, okay, we'll see how far we can go with this. And so this this kind of this cool calculation on Scorpius's part is like, okay, he's going to take what John's dishing out at him. And meet all their demands Mm -hmm. um, until it serves its purpose no longer. And that's something to think about also with this episode as John and Scorpius' relationship evolves from this beginning meeting where where Scorpius is very accommodating to the end where, spoilers, he's not as accommodating. And we'll get to that when we get to the end there.
0: Yeah. There's just a lot going on here because for both Aaron and Krace, this moment of coming back to the ship is really telling. Bracca is trying to pull like this, I'm the peacekeeper and you're the traitor thing on Crace. And throughout all of his interactions, you can tell that Crace is just really enjoying pushing Bracca's buttons. And you can also tell that that is why Crace was the captain and Bracca is still lieutenant. Because Mm -hmm. later, as Bracca walks Crace to his quarters, all these crew members are kind of like, you know, talking under their breath at Kreis and Bracca kind of enjoys telling Kreis that like, hey, they don't really like having you here. You're a traitor. And then they get to the quarters and Kreis just like, at first he looks for some, he looks for some um, spy cams. And then when he doesn't find any, Bracca's like, you're not important enough for, you're not important (laughs) enough to have any of those. And then Bra Crace kind of looks at him and he's like and he's like, I always knew you would go far in this organization. I knew you'd make a consummate peacekeeper. And that and Bracca gets so mad because it's these two characters where Bracca was never as loyal to Crace as he is to Scorpius. But at the same time, this still is his ex-commander. And you can tell that there's some meaty stuff going on there for him. And that he has to put... He essentially has to make Kreis nothing. Because if Kreis is still professional, if Kreis is still the captain he was when he was serving... When Bracca was serving him, then that means Bracca's betrayal might not have been justified. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean?
1: Yeah. And I think it's also, you know, you want to... The thing you don't like anymore and you have made a decision against, you have to justify, as you said, turning against it and saying, see, you're nothing. And the fact that that Kreis was right about something, he's like, yeah, I knew you'd be good. You'd be good. And the- because he's right about that, I think that's what really pisses Raka off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. before we leave before we leave Kreis and shift gears to Aaron. So Kreis requested Lieutenant Laurel who was a Leviathan specialist. And remember, Crace was the one who engineered Moya's pregnancy in the first place. He was the captain in charge five years cycles ago, mm-hmm. however long it was from the way we were when, when that all went down. And he's got this relationship with Lieutenant L'Oreal. And When they're walking onto the ship, she's looking out of the corner for her eye at him. They make eye contact. He requests her. He's granted permission for her to work for, with him. And then she comes to his quarters and there's this it's like they're ex lovers or something because mm-hmm. she comes in and it's like, Oh, I I knew you would come back and I, I hated you for a while, but I'm I'm not mad at you anymore and then they had the mad macking on each other <laughs> yep. going on. And so and so this is one of those things where where we find out later that Laurel was asked to spy on him. Big surprise, right? But you're also wondering how much does Krace know of that in advance? I mean, he was a peacekeeper for years. He has to Mm -hmm. know that she was spying on him. And that's kind of implied in some of their later interactions, especially in the next episode. But at the same time, there's there's feels like there's genuine feeling between them.
0: Yeah, your point is well taken of how much does he know? Because she actually tells him. She says, Scorpius found out about our relationship because he put me in the Aurora chair. And I am here to spy on you. And then theoretically her saying that would make him trust her more because later she ends up having an interaction with Braca where he's like, did he buy the confession? She's like, of course he bought it. He's you know, gullible. <laughs> but then everything that Chris does in these two episodes is so methodical. It's so well thought out. And he is using his peacekeeper knowledge and his, he's using his knowledge to get everything he wants and to the best of his advantage. Mm -hmm. And we really see the payoff of that in the next episode. So I actually 100% believe that he knows. And maybe he's enjoying – he might be enjoying imagining a world where she did come with him Mm -hmm. or imagining that she still does have feelings for him. But – he was conscripted into the peacekeepers at a very young age. He knows what they do to you. He knows that she is first and foremost loyal to the peacekeepers.
1: Yeah. And he also knows what he demanded of his subordinates when he was captain too, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, like he demanded everything of them. He threw Aaron out for just associating with John when he was captain in the very first episode. And I think it's, it's an interesting note for Crace's character that even if he does still feel for her and is willing to, go along with and recreate and kiss and do all those feelings things, Mm -hmm. you know, he's still going to, going to do what he needs to do. Like his emotions are not going to get in the way of his mission.
0: Yeah. Of saving Talon. Yeah. I want to go back also for a second to that quote we just played, because in that you could see both Scorpius and John kind of pushing at the boundaries of their new relationship. And they were both trying to figure out how far the other would go. Right. Right. So Scorpius, after agreeing to the talent thing, takes John to the place where they're studying wormholes. You know, we've seen it a couple times now. It's that like science center. And Scorpius's head researcher, Kolkura, who we've met a couple times now, he says, "Oh, this is where you're going to be working." And John can see that it's a station that's not connected to any of the other stations. It's not clearly not networked. It's very small and it's very limited. So John takes a chair and he actually <laughs> like throws it and destroys the station. And essentially he tells Scorpius like, I'm not eating at the kitty table. I'm not playing your games. Either you give me 100% full access or I'm out of here. And it's really weird because you can tell that Scorpius is on the one hand... He's just so hesitant to believe John. Like he wants to limit the amount of damage John could possibly do. But at the same time, John is playing the game and John is hitting all the right notes of helping Scorpius. And you can tell that on some level, Scorpius is not just not used to getting what he wants is Mm -hmm. how I read the scene is that like John is saying all the right things. He's doing all the right things. And Scorpius is just so hesitant to like trust that he's getting what he wants.
1: Right, and he doesn't trust that he's getting what. I think that's a very apt reading of of Scorpius right there. And you see it as their relationship develops, and I kind of like, like framing it as they're renegotiating their new relationship, because in season one, the relationship was, you are my prisoner, I'm your torturer, I have complete and total control over your mind and your body and whether you live or whether you die. Like, you can't even commit suicide to get out of this. That's how much control Scorpius had over John. And in season two it was the really the neurochip was the main relationship and it's only at the very end of the season. And, and I guess for the little bit in the middle where they're buffered by the uh, look at the princess with the empress,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, they don't have a direct relationship there as the same way, but here they are literally one-on-one. They each have equal power over the other because John has something that he's willing to give Scorpius. So he says, and Scorpius is willing to accommodate John and his friends In order to get it, and so it really is this brand new negotiation of the relationship, and it's kind of fascinating to watch the two of them play it out. Um, Let's just go with this this thread for a little bit, because there's a scene a little bit later on. I didn't pull the quote for it, but Scorpius accuses John of stalling Mm -hmm. uh, in his research, and John has been working with uh, Kokura who's the researcher, and he's like having trouble with it because you know it's he doesn't want to give them anything, but also. He actually can't because the the subconscious direction from the ancients' knowledge is hasn't come out yet, and they're like talking over each other in this scene where you have we have Scorpius basically saying let me finish because they're you're talking over each other and it really reminded me of like an early relationship fight with like someone you're involved with and either romantically or friendshiply where you have like your first big fight and yes mm-hmm. they're on they're like they're like a rival dance but it's it's really a just this moment of who are you to me and I think you're lying and are you lying and playing the John's playing the game bluffing and
0: going back and forth. That was just really fascinating to me to see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Scorpius has had John on his back foot for so long. Like John has been on the defensive with Scorpius for so long that this really is the first time that they're coming together And John is anywhere near on an equal playing field as Scorpius. I actually want to play a quote because when this happened, I actually had this moment of like, wait, who did? I couldn't remember who Scorpius had shown his backstory to an Incubator. And then I realized he had only shown it to the mental John. So just Mm -hmm. like John has been developing a relationship with Harvey and a relationship with the mental clone, Scorpius also kind of has this relationship with the John in his head. And he's trying something he tried with the John in his head that didn't work then. And I'm not a hundred percent sure why he thinks it's going to work now. I think maybe because John is saying all the right things of I don't like the Scarens, I'm afraid of the Scarens, blah, blah, blah. So Scorpius shows him the incu- the information that he showed the mental clone in Incubator. And I'm gonna play a quote between John and Harvey as John tries to figure out what to do with this information. Scorpius's data chip made for interesting viewing, don't you think, John? The Scarens. Are they really the threat he claims, or is he just out for revenge? What do you think? Phew.
1: I hear his intellect. But not his passions, nor his fears. Hence, my assessment would be more objective than his. And I concur with him. The scars! pose a threat to all of the species. Cheer up, John. Scorpius has shown his biographies are very few. He must be trusting you now.
0: Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Considering I've been lying to his face. Uh, I've managed to uh, normalize your energy signature. Scorpius can't detect your line. We may yet survive this, John.
1: (laughs) So, okay, I just love Harvey in this episode. The episode actually opens, the cold open, is between Harvey and John, set in a black and white World War II setting, you know, getting ready for the invasion, right? And so this is in that same setting. They're by a truck. They're both in Green Army fatigue, circa World War II. And there's blasts going off all around them it's really chaotic and actually i think the music is the ants go marching really slow i was listening to it very carefully for the second time i listened to it and i think it's just (laughs) an odd kind of little note to have there so you have you have john now has scorpius's history and i think the main difference between him and the neural john that scorpius initially showed it to is remember neural john was at daimy dichotomy when he had just been traumatized by scorpius killing aaron aaron is gone he's had his brain ripped open and you know all these really awful events having happened just right that moment and then you have this john who has not experienced the scarins or the charids the way that the talon john did but he has been on this wormhole quest right Mm -hmm. and he has gotten closer to getting to the wormholes and i think there's some distance there that means he's looking at the bigger political picture with clearer eyes because he's not like freshly traumatized. Mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, we're playing God here with, with politics, right? Because this is the game changer. I have the power over the game changer. Who do I pick the Scarens or the peacekeepers? They're like both Mm -hmm. terrible choices. And coming to Harvey for his analysis, as we've seen him do over and over again this season, Mm -hmm. I think that's another Another thing is is Harvey is now part of John and his decision-making process. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Framing all the John and Harvey conversations as during a war, I think it really clarifies how John is seeing his whole interaction with Scorpius. Like, he sees this as incredibly dangerous. He sees every single interaction that he's currently having with Scorpius as life and death. Not just for him, but for everybody around him. And so it really even though John on the surface is very calm and he's playing this out and he's thoughtful about this, in his own head, this is very stressful. This is a current war zone. You know, every single yeah. moment with with, with Scorpius is, is war. And you make a good point about this John having had more experience than the neural John did. And I think also John at this point has heard from Aaron the devastation that wormholes can bring, and he's heard from the other John, like the danger of wormholes. So for him, the idea is kind of like giving Scorpius the power of a god or the Scarons overtake everybody and kill everything. So it's kind of like he's trying to weigh these two things and he's not coming out to the same balance that the other John did.
1: Yeah, and this this conflict that he has is something that comes up again and again with conversations with Aaron. One of the early conversations the two of them have, uh, they're sitting in this mist room, the healing chamber in the medical section where Dargo has just gotten his, his uh, collarbone ringlets that chained him to a wall before removed. That was one of the things that Dargo got out of, of this deal. But it's also a place where there's no surveillance. So they're meeting in this room. And John's telling her, evaluating like, what are the, what's the plan? So we're sabotaging Scorpius. So it's Plan A, and it's Plan B is, is pointing in the wrong direction. Key can't doesn't know what direction they're going. And Plan C is like run like hell. Like that's how mm-hmm. fraught this is. It's like our plans aren't working. It might be time to get out eventually the wormhole stuff does start breaking through and he starts writing on his skin. And I don't know. I kind of like that note about him. There's like no paper in this world. So he Mm -hmm. he writes on himself. So as that kind of evolves and as he learns about Scorpius backstory, he meets with Aaron again. And now he's like, is this really what we want to do? And I'm having some doubts about, should we actually help the peacekeepers against the scare? And I'm going to play the, they have a couple of conversations like this and I'm going to play the second one between the two of them
0: knowledge the ancients put in my head is starting to do its job I can see which path will work and which one's a dead end.
1: So you will be able to steer Scorpius onto the wrong path?
0: Yeah, I can screw up his research for years to come.
1: Why aren't you happy about that?
0: Because I'm not 100% sure it's the right thing to do The
1: other John gave up his life to stop the Scarrans from getting this info. I know, but it's my shift now he didn't know what we know. He didn't get Scorpio's backstory. He didn't see Scorpio put his ass on the line for us. So what? And now you're actually considering helping Scorpius? No. It's just not clear what my next move is. Well, then you get clear. I said I'd back you up and I will, but you have to make a decision.
0: I like that. I like the, the comment of clear and clarity. Because up until now, things have been incredibly black and white for John. And I think that that's one of the reasons he's having such a hard time trusting Krace is because everything has to be black and white. You know, Crace is bad. Scorpius is bad. Scorpius is evil, you know. And so stopping Scorpius is the most important thing. With the introduction of Greza and with the introduction of the larger politics and the Scarans. Everything kind of becomes gray and poor John, who has had so much of his life just up in the air for three years now, or I mean three seasons, I, I'm not 100% sure how long it's actually been, but for who had so much of his life up in the air for so long, gray really puts him in an uncomfortable spot because now he has to make a moral decision. Whereas before it wasn't even really a moral decision because he knew the right answer, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it's and it's not an easy setup that we've been given with the politics of the situation, and with the introduction of Greza, that is really highlighted, mm-hmm. like, the scare and threat is something that the peacekeepers are taking very seriously, the scare and threat is something that other races are taking very seriously, so when, when Greza comes aboard, that gets really highlighted, and with all this other swirling information around for John, it's like, okay, like... And with Harvey also agreeing in his head that, yeah, the Skerrans are really bad news. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the Peacekeepers are really bad news. And the Peacekeepers have done all these terrible things to him and his friends and to people they've encountered on the, in the Uncharted territories. There's a quote I want to play, but I need to introduce Graza a little bit better first. So there's a point in the story where Dargo gets attacked by a grudge-holding Peacekeeper and one of his friends, well, one of his friends attacks him. He kills him. And there's this confrontation with Scorpius about because no one's supposed to be attacking the Moya crew. Anyway, so Dargo goes back to Moya with Jewel, Tiana, and Rigel. And while they're there, Tiana has another one of her premonitions, but it's not really here. They're there. But they get, uh, Moya gets zapped by an immobilizer pulse and captured by this Commandant Greza, who is a different faction from scorpius and she comes aboard the command carrier with the crew now as her prisoners so that's like the plot that happens we're going to be going really fast to the plot points just because we have a lot to talk about with the characters yeah <laughs> so she comes aboard and i'm going to play this quote from her when she and scorpius at first face off that really starts to highlight the galactic situation
0: This gamic project is under my authority.
1: Your authority is not absolute, Scorpius. Let me introduce Cortosco, Special Luxon Ambassador.
0: The Luxons have signed a defense agreement with the peacekeepers. I have been sent to promote other such alliances, but half the planets I visit fear peacekeepers.
1: The other half laugh at us for our simple inability to capture a handful of escaped prisoners whose exploits are becoming legendary. Why should we care what insignificant systems think? We're uniting as much of the uncharted territories as possible to improve our bargaining position with the Scarrons. The Council intends to negotiate. A truce is being explored. A truce won't prevent an invasion as a show of weakness. It may even hasten one. Hence the alliances, to show strength. Showing strength is useless! My project will give us strength! Yeah. So it's it's not just... Scarons versus peacekeepers, it's different peacekeeper factions against each other. You have the military project that Scorpius is on to build weapons, the mm-hmm. wormhole weapons, you have Graza attempting a diplomatic solution by uniting like all the other of the planets. And I'm wondering like how unprecedented is that for the peacekeepers to go into these proactive alliances with with people that they would otherwise subjugate, you know?
0: Yeah. And it also means that the peacekeepers are limiting their resources. They're they're conserving their resources. They're seeing that the Scarens are such a large threat that rather than subjugate all of these races and say, look how big our community is, they're saying, Okay, let's let's form an alliance so that neither one of us have to waste resources on each other and we can save them for the Scarens. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the show of force she's talking about. And theoretically, it's not. A bad idea, negotiate. You know, negotiating a tr- peace versus you know an all-out war that would kill millions of people. But at the same time, Scorpius only came to the peacekeepers to get revenge upon the Scarans. You know, that mm-hmm. is his sole reason for being a peacekeeper.
1: Yeah, vengeance is definitely tied up in in what he wants, and it's interesting to think about his motivations too because. Because he was so maltreated by them. It's like, how much does he actually care about the Sebations and the rest of the universe and preventing war, right? Yeah. Like, he wants to annihilate the scarants, but how much is he for preserving life? Where Greza, that is definitely seems to be one of her motivations, is to preserve Peacekeeper life and Sebation life on all these planets and their territory.
0: Yeah. And this is one of the things that TV shows do well, but Farscape does especially well, which is that... They make bad guys, not really good guys, but definitely more sympathetic characters. And I think that part of the thing is you're not on Team Greza. Like, nobody who watches this episode <laughs> is on Team Greza, even though you make a good point that her whole thing is the preservation of life. And Scorpius is like, I want to build a giant weapon that eats planets, you know? <laughs> and so, but at the same time, you're like you've become somewhat sympathetic to Scorpius. And it's the same feeling yeah. you kind of had for Crace at the end of season one.
1: Yeah. It's a very good mirror for the end of season one where you had Crace falling to pieces and you had Scorpius coming in all cool and collected. And here you have Scorpius kind of falling to pieces a little bit because you hear it in his voice. He is not a person that loses control of his affect or his words or his temper but here he's like yelling like that is Mm -hmm. so rare for him to do and it's something he hates because it calls to his temper the temperament of his scare inside which he despises Mm -hmm. and i love that you have this this peacekeeper conflict where you have this one peacekeeper coming in graza who's messing with scorpius's plan the same way scorpius came in and messed with craze's plan in the end of season one and you have Scorpius now the one who is trying desperately to hold on to control, and he does regain it back he does He plays a little bit <laughs> a little bit cooler than Cray did at the end of season one so when when John and Aaron storm in a little bit later because Moya has been captured or their friends have been taken prisoner, you know Scorpius is able to eventually reassert control back over the situation and order them released and all this stuff and Graza allows for it to happen. Though she says, you will regret this, basically. I'm going to go basically get my search warrant and come back and smash you. But I just love seeing Scorpius's control be shaken like that mm-hmm. in the face of Graza. And the fact that his project is not the be-all end-all, which it always seemed at the end of season one, where it seemed to trump everything, like a Trump yeah. Grace. And now it's not trumping Grace. There's this other plan going on. And you have this inner, inner peacekeeper politics happening at the same time.
0: I think this also speaks to Scorpius's fixation, which is that he's been so fixated on the wormhole tech and on his secret projects that he hasn't been paying attention to the larger politics going on because while he's been promising wormholes for a while and, you know, not really paying attention to it, Greza has managed to come in and she now has the power on her side. Like mm-hmm. the peacekeepers wouldn't be making deals with the Luxans. If that wasn't the kind of more popular opinion, which means that Scorpius here hasn't been playing chess with the peacekeepers the way he has with John. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? He hasn't been he hasn't been putting his attention where it should be, which is on making sure his own position is sound. The one thing I don't care for in this quote, though, is this idea that, like, other planets are laughing at them because <laughs> of the Moya crew. I'm like, I think that elevates the Moya crew a little bit more than necessary.
1: Yeah, but that's kind of been a theme of the season, though, right? Because with Sons and Lovers, at the beginning, we saw they were in the bar and they were like, oh, are you John Crichton? And then there's like, I heard you did this, 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 and this and all the you know stuff that they've done. So there is that that kind of Robin Hood-esque storytelling going on, and I could definitely see it taking off because everyone loves a good underdog story, especially if you're still under the thumb or at least influenced by this oppressive peacekeeper regime. So yeah, you're going to tell and exaggerate stories about about John Crichton and his crew. Yeah. You know? It does elevate them above what they've done, I think that's for sure, but that's the nature of stories.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. So this is kind of why the 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 water is now so muddied for poor John, because what was very clear cut Scorpius is evil. Peacekeepers are mostly evil or peacekeeper commanders are evil, (laughs) you know, because, you know, he kind of there is this kind of struggle of like that Aaron is internally having with that. But, you know, we have to stop the wormhole project. And then now John is kind of struck stuck with. This idea of do we need to stop the wormhole project,
1: you Mm -hmm. know,
0: and that's, I think, where his struggle really is, is he's no longer sure what the moral decision is.
1: Yeah. So that's the dilemma that that John is struggling with as we go into toward the end of the episode. I want to switch gears now and go back to Aaron and the others, more so Aaron than the others, because we've come back to Aaron's command carrier. Like this is the command carrier that she was born on back early in the episode they have been invited to the officer's lounge for refreshments the moya crew so i'm going to play that that interaction and then we can get a little bit more into this side of things this is too weird being here how long were you a prisoner eight cycles and you were born he grew up within these walls it must have been awful <laughs> Yes, chance, I'll get, I'll it, get it back. back. <laughs> no, it wasn't awful. Room for another? No, but I've currency and uh, other things. I don't see anything. No. Look closer. Janna, I think we should be moving along. We are just getting to know each other. I know exactly what you are. Oh? An Abari Trelk. Oh. The Luxana took a Sebastian wife and then murdered her. Dolga, we didn't come here to fight. No.
0: Lieutenant Relgic.
1: We were just getting to know each other. Yeah, so it's it's all tension all the time down in the officer's lounge. But the the two things I wanted to talk about. One First of all, Chiana, because Chiana doesn't get a whole lot to do in this episode, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. She's 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 stirring the pot. She's like, I'm going to go over to this officer who clearly hates us and try to make friends by offering to have sex with him. You know, it's just like, Chiana, dear, I know you know exactly what you're doing, but we don't need this kind of tension right now. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I mean, then this is the sort of thing that's worked multiple times for Chiana. This is the sort of thing that she does. And this is how she gets information. Usually, and I think that I'll be honest. Reljic was so boring for me. He's such like a <laughs> mustachioed villain, and I'm like, I get the purpose, which is that without Reljic, the you know drunk PK officer, essentially, without him, the episode would just be John and Scorpius playing politics, and then Aaron and her backstory. But with him. It just kind of feels so ridiculous, you know? It
1: feels super tropey, that's what it feels like. Yeah. Like, he is the classic, you know, I hate all aliens, I hate the traitors, let's do something about it, even though it's against orders kind of thing. And he's the one who convinces his friend to, to go attack Dargo. And then later on in the episode, he attacks John. And sets them up. But yeah, it's just like this tension that's right there. And he is, he is the classic villain that is there for plot purposes. And it is, as you say, mustachioed, twirling, very, very cliched. That said, I kind of like it. It's <laughs> because it pushes all my buttons. I don't know. I love this kind of conflict, right? You have two worlds meeting. And how are they gonna, how are they gonna do that? Especially when it comes to Aaron, who used to live in this world. And yeah. in the middle of that quote, you had a flashback to her and her best friend, Henta, playing poker in the officer's lounge. And it was great. She was having fun. She was with people she loved. And when she tells Jewel, no, it wasn't that bad. It really wasn't. Remember, you know, season one, Aaron loved being a peacekeeper. Mm-hmm.
0: And this is bringing a lot of that up for Aaron. She actually ends up meeting Henta later in the officer's lounge. And she offers to have a drink with her. And Henta instead throws the drink in her face. They have an interaction later that I want to play because Aaron kind of spends this whole episode trying to reach Henta the way that John reached her. And you just want to wrap Aaron up in like a blanket and say like, no, honey, no, like she's too brainwashed. She's not going to hear you. But Aaron has to try. What do you want?
1: I want to talk to you.
0: Do you have something to say?
1: Where should I start? What happened? Am I a traitor? Well, that depends upon your definition. Define it how you like, you're the one who left. Well, no, I didn't have a choice in that. Krace decided I was irreversibly contaminated and he threw me out. And then he turned renegade and he got thrown out. You could have
0: come back. It was too late then you think you didn't have a choice?
1: I didn't want to come back. Then you are a traitor. A deserter, perhaps. Can you tell me why? If you really want to know. Alert. All cannon crew and prowler pilots report to stations. And I think really what gets me about the scene between the two of them is Henta clearly loves Aaron a hell of a lot, you know? Her mm-hmm. voice is breaking when she says, you could have come back. Can you tell me why you didn't come back? And the subtext there is, you left me, you know? Mm-hmm. You were gone, and I loved you, and, and you could have come back, and you didn't. And Aaron telling her, like, I couldn't. I'd changed too much. And it's just like... Oh, my goodness. I just want to give them both hugs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think that focusing on the love is really important because in that moment, there's also just – she clearly wants to hear what Aaron says. She wants to have, like, a real reason that she can understand. And Aaron is trying to explain to her, I changed. The peacekeepers aren't good, you know, like – or aren't completely good. And at the same time, Henta just can't hear her, you know, it would be like if somebody had tried to explain that to Aaron in season one, you Mm -hmm. know, at the beginning in episode one, you know, and she just wouldn't have been able to hear her because accepting that the peacekeepers aren't universally good destroyed Aaron it changed who she was on a fundamental level. And Henta hasn't had that like outside change that Aaron did where Aaron wasn't in the peacekeeper environment anymore. She was seeing things that were outside her comfort zone. She was seeing things she wasn't supposed to see as the little peacekeeper toy soldier. And Henta hasn't had any of those experiences. And so all she's hearing is that her friend isn't a peacekeeper anymore. Her friend isn't moral anymore. Her friend isn't the upstanding person that she used to be you know it's kind of like I think that in some ways she almost sees it as like if you met a friend of yours that had gone down a really dark path of like drugs and like you know a really dark path and you're like trying to call them back and be like no you could live an upstanding life Mm -hmm. you know and she just can't see that what Aaron has seen
1: yeah yeah and she hasn't been through those experiences but at the same time, you can tell that she she wants to hear it from Aaron, you know, because mm-hmm. there's a scene even later in the episode where they actually are sitting down to drinks together. Like it happens very, very near the end. And it's and Aaron's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm keeping faith to the peacekeepers, the good parts of it, like loyalty and sacrifice and, you know, being a good warrior and, and doing all those things and things that we've heard her talk about. You know, one that comes to mind is in PK Tech Girl in the beginning of season one, mm-hmm. when she's like, peacekeepers are a force for good in a lot of ways. And she's talking about that with Henta, and Henta's like, I don't question what I'm doing when Aaron asks her. and But Aaron then turns it, and she says, what about your leaders? You know, like, is the cause just, okay, but what about the leadership you're following, looking at Scorpius while that's going on? Mm-hmm. And it's just... You know, the conversation ends there with this kind of open-ended. Will she be able to convince Henta in part two to to see her for who she is? You know. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I think that their interaction matters most to me in this episode because this is more than that. Epi- this is this episode feels a lot more for me. I don't know how to describe it than Peacekeeper Tech Girl. You know, like in Peacekeeper mm-hmm. Tech Girl. Oh yeah, totally. Erin like facing her past and facing. What she chose and the choices she's made. But here, Erin literally is in her old home. Erin literally is surrounded by people that she used to be friends with and she used to know. And that, to be honest, like most of these people were probably lower that lower ranked than her. Well, you know, like, and all of them now are like, you know, essentially spitting on her. You know, she's, yeah, and she's really struggling with that. She's really struggling with how to handle. The changes that she's gone through and how and how she cognitively understood she couldn't go back, but she didn't understand that that would mean losing everyone that she cared about. I mean, Mm -hmm. she did, but she it was it's different being faced with it, I think.
1: Yeah, and there's also the progression of knowing that, too. I mean, she had to face that when PK Tech Girl early on, but then she also hadn't traveled the same journey that she has now. I feel like seeing the difference between Aaron in Season 1 confronting this, you know, even when she confronts Krays at, at the end of the Aurora chair, um, and seeing her now, she's so much more settled into her own skin in mm-hmm. Season 3 and her choices, and she's calm about it. She has no no uncertainty about the past that she left. Right. Yeah. She is she is at peace with that decision. She is happy with that decision. She's like, I couldn't come back. I didn't want to. And there is like no hesitation, no doubt, no nothing when she says that to Henta. And I think that's the real progression that you see with it. And now she's on gone even that one step further and saying, Have you taken a really hard look at the peacekeepers lately? Mm -hmm. you know. And trying to do, as you said, what John did for her and looking outside of the box for someone she cares about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to mention a couple other plot points just because they're important for next episode. Reljic gets recruited by Greza, which is why he goes after John because he's hoping to kill Scorpius by killing John. Erin kind of senses there's something against them, so she takes them to like the most dangerous place place in the (laughs) ship which is like because no one will follow them in there yeah right Aaron. yeah i don't know
1: (laughs) it's like this giant generator room
0: yeah it's like this giant generator room we have like a mono a mono battle with Relznik, and he gets killed my other thing with this episode though is is i know i've described it but just everything happens like boom 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 and there's literally no transition time in between any of these things like like dargo is like I'm going to take everybody back to the ship and then the next scene, everybody is back on the ship and Aaron is like talking to uh, her friend. (laughs) And then the next scene she's walking with John and they're being followed and they're, it's like this big battle. And it's like, like, I think the editing could have been, there could have been some editing that made it seem like a little more time was passing because Mm -hmm. you have a feeling that this is at least over the course of like three or four days, but it feels like it's all happening in like five hours you know yeah
1: yeah there is a lot going on in this episode that is absolutely right and it is very fast-paced but I don't know for me it didn't bother me so much and I'm only saying this now that we've discussed a little bit and I've thought about it as we've been talking is you know it kind of fits with the the World War II analogy that's going on inside of John's head of it being a war zone and there's blasts going off and there's Mm -hmm. something always happening around him and Harvey and it kind of you know, the pacing of the episode kind of mirrors that where there's something going on all the time. They can never relax. They can never have that breathing space Mm -hmm. because they always have to be constantly on guard. Yeah. And I don't know if this is me just hand waving the episode pacing. I don't think it was intentional, (laughs) but it's a way to interpret it with the product that we get.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, and it's not a bad episode. It's not a bad episode. I think it just it felt very like Boom, boom, boom. The other major thing is that Scorpius has found Earth. Yes. He shows John a picture of Earth at the very end after he's accused John of dragging his feet because Greza has riled Scorpius up and now Scorpius needs John to tell him where wormholes are. And whereas before it was kind of like Scorpius was willing to play John's game and kind of willing to see where it was going because he thought the end game was that he was going to get wormhole knowledge. Now he needs that wormhole knowledge.
1: Yeah, because he mentions is the timetable has been moved up. Graza is going to get orders from on high that are going to shut Scorpius down. So Scorpius needs to have all that information of the wormhole problem solved before that happens. And, and this is where that whole relationship between John and Scorpius comes back into play. So John has been Beaten to hell by this fight with Relgic in the in the generator room, and of course with the Iench bracelets, Scorpius has felt that all too. So he got beat up too, and so John has come to visit him and basically say, "What the hell, man?" So Scorpius is like, you know. I'm done. I am done messing around with you. And he, ele- you know, he, he's, this is his contingency plan, right? Mm-hmm. Like he never fully trusted John. All those conversations we talked about where he's like, okay, he's trusting John enough to tell him his backstory, but that was just trying to get John to come around and, and speed things up. And here he's like, okay, this is my final trump card.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This is my final card to play. I found earth. Like, I'm guessing he got like massive telescopes, like the Hubble Space Telescope or something to look for Earth, Yeah. because Earth is 60 cycles away at fastest speed. Um. So without wormholes, it's impossible to reach. But he's, and he's like beating John now himself, like smashing, even though it hurts himself, like he's going to take the punishment and smash John's head into the, into the table and say like, <laughs> look, I am so done with you. And here's the ultimatum. Yeah. I will destroy Earth just to spite you just because of you because he doesn't care about earth if you don't get the wormhole stuff taken care of
0: yeah so that's where the episode ends um join us next and week <laughs> for part like, two Part two, yeah. <laughs> um what would you give this episode
1: i give this one a four 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 and a half i i the pacing didn't bother me i think it's got a lot of really really good good stuff in it and i just love the scorpius and john interactions and i just love them being in the belly of the beast and i just love aaron's little storyline maybe i'll just go with a four, straight four because there are some things that could be improved like the rest of boys crew doesn't get a whole lot to do um but mm-hmm. I, I really like this episode and i like how it sets crace up as well with his plot line that'll pay off in the next se- the next episode
0: yeah uh for me it's like a three and a half maybe a four it's like kind of still high but not like high high and yeah. that was just because yeah the pacing because all the all the emotional stuff worked for me the Scorpius stuff worked the aaron and her friend stuff worked like it was good and we even have some like rigel bits where he finds out that like his that some of the hynerian planets aren't loyal to bishan anymore they're questioning his leadership mm-hmm. so you know next week like we said we have into the lion's den part two um mm-hmm. which is wolf and sheep's clothing
1: yep on wardrobe watch the only thing notable is john is wearing his short jacket that moya john has taken to wearing this season as opposed to his duster mm-hmm. it looks good on him
0: looks real good we are recording our season three wrap-up so if you have any comments or anything you want us to talk about in that, please let us know. We are Farscape Friday Podcast on Tumblr, DreamWith, and at gmail.com. And we are Farscape Friday on Twitter. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.